Hey, what's up? It's Jack Peterson, your news director outgoing and uh, general manager incoming. Here for a very special news block today. Uh, Grace Wanabo is on vacation, so I'm going to be hosting a special episode, shall we say, of The Rundown, where we'll hear a... uh, a piece on uh, the pro-choice efforts in New York City from our new associate news director, Arya Young. And uh, we'll also hear from me about uh, yesterday's shooting and um, maybe much more, maybe much more. Hey, uh, if that sounds interesting, check it out. Stay tuned. This is WNYU 89.1 FM, WNYU.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are live right now from the campus of New York University. And right now we are going to take it to a more national story. Um, I think I'm just going to talk a little bit more now um, since we're here on the rundown um, about what happened yesterday and um, what there is to do at this stage. Um, I don't consider myself an expert, but I consider myself a person who lives in America and, uh, you know, has eyes and ears and five senses and understands um, the recent history of uh, this country. Um, And I think what um, a lot of people don't understand is um, exactly how easy it was for this to happen because of the environment that it happened in. Um, And so if you're if you're, you know, not aware of the context um, in some in some way um, yesterday in the town of Uvalde, Texas, there were 19 children and two teachers um, murdered in uh, in Texas at an elementary school. The children were all in the same fourth grade class, um, and they were killed by a man named Salvador Ramos, who was 18 years old. He had just turned 18. Um, and for his 18th birthday, he bought himself a gun in um, legally in a in a sporting goods store at 18 years old. Um, and he had previously threatened to uh, to shoot up a school. Um, he had sent texts. He had, you know, um, previously said that he was going to uh, do something of this magnitude, which is a common thing with a lot of school shootings and uh, mass shootings in general, that people who commit them um, predict their own actions and, and you know, already... Um, you know, have told people multiple times that that's something that they have aspirations to do. Um, and yet it was not stopped. Um, and there's numerous reasons why it wasn't stopped. And I think that one reason why, one reason that is not the reason why it was not stopped um, is, uh, or rather one reason why uh, why it was not stopped uh, is because it is not in the interest of Governor Greg Abbott to um, to stop school shootings. I think that's a blunt way to say it, but he uh, is a governor who has had um, so much funding from the National Rifle Association that he has no choice but to stand up for the violent acts that those guns uh, commit. And I think that it's incredibly sickening to see the governor of one of the biggest states in um, in the country, no matter who uh, that is, no matter what, um, no matter what what party or, or you know political affiliation or ideology they have, uh, 
no matter if this is already a, a very controversial figure, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter. Um, for a governor of one of the biggest states to be receiving money from an organization that is killing that state's children. Um, and I, so I, I read the statement from, uh, from Abbott about this shooting. And I think that it's an entirely, I mean, every political response to something like this is entirely, you know, level-headed, I guess, on, on paper. Um, I think that the way that he phrases this, he's talking about how there are not adequate mental health resources needed um, in, that, that are needed in, in, uh, in this area of Texas, that there are not, um, y- you know, that, that this was a horrific tragedy committed by somebody who needed help, whatever it is. Obviously, that's true. Um, but another thing that he said was that that guns and gun laws that have been repeatedly struck down by the Republican Party are not the solution to something of this magnitude and that we should be focused on the um, mental health uh, efforts of um, th- that would prevent some- somebody like this from doing something like this. And I think that obviously both can be true. Um, I mean, I think I, w- I want to play a clip from a um, from a press conference that Governor Abbott had, um, where, or rather, that the the yeah Governor Abbott as well as um, members of the police department and his cabinet had, where he was interrupted by his his opponent uh, in the upcoming governor's race in Texas, Beto O'Rourke, who has competed against him in the past as well. And uh, I'm not necessarily a, a fan of everything that Beto O'Rourke says, but I think that I want to play this clip because I think that it's not... Um, this is directly after Governor Abbott said in the, in the press conference that, that adding restrictions on guns and any kind of guns is not, quote, a real solution to ending mass uh, shootings because it is oversimplifying that issue. Um, and this was what uh, Beto said afterwards. And you are doing nothing. You're offering us nothing. You said this is not predictable. This is totally predictable when you choose not to do anything. Sir, you are out of line. Sir, you are out of line. I can't believe you're sick. A tragedy happened here. They need to be This is not the place to do that. He was escorted out of, of the press conference, but I think that what, um, you know, I'm impressed that he, he walked all the way up and, and confronted him in that situation. Uh, I think that um, there is a very clear line between a lack of, well, actually, you know what? It's not a lack of political action. It is political action um, to choose to strike down political action. Um, the number of times in, in the aftermath of shootings such as those at um, Parkland, Florida, or those uh, in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, um, the Newtown, uh, the amount of legislation that's been put forward into through Congress and has been pushed for to eliminate um, loopholes in buying guns, to uh, eliminate the sale of certain types of weaponry, to 
provide adequate background checks, especially that that is the legislation that I think is the least controversial in theory is to have proper background checks for people who buy guns. Um, and yet they've been struck down over and over again, and they've been struck down by the same people every time um, because of the people who own the Republican Party um, and who, who finance it. And those are the same people who are selling the guns and lobbying for the guns that killed children in Texas yesterday. I I think that anything that I have to say right now about this is has been said before and has been said better and has been said um, so many countless times, especially in the last 10 to 15 years when we've seen um, such high profile shootings and such high profile failures of government to prevent further shootings. I think that um, all of this is very obvious. All of this is very easy. Um, but all of this is not going to change. And I don't I don't like to not have hope in situations like this, but um, why should I in this circumstance when it was five years ago that the Parkland shooting happened, Florida, and um, children were killed in a high school, and in the aftermath, um, students from that school became very high-profile activists and, and pushed for the campaign that would lead to the March for Our Lives uh, marches across the country. Uh, in New York, we had a huge one. It, it was um, a movement that was, you know, drawing all sorts of political support. And um, it was putting somewhat unprecedented uh, pressure onto lawmakers to do something in these circumstances. And nothing was done. In fact, the opposite like I said, uh, attempts at changing things were actively struck down by the Republican Party. That is what happened. Um, even when we thought the biggest change that could have happened was about to happen, it didn't. And it, we are less than halfway through the year. We're at the end of the month of May. And there have been 27 school shootings this year. That's not counting any mass shootings. That's not counting any of the other uh, interpersonal disputes that have led to people being shot. This is only school shootings. There have been over 200 mass shootings in general, um, as in mass shootings in which four or more people were shot or killed, uh, not counting the shooter as well. So there have been over 200, 212 is the current number um, as of as of as of what I'm saying right now. But of course, by tonight or tomorrow morning or whatever, that could have changed. Who knows? Um, so according to the gun violence uh, archive, they say that uh, there there are 212 mass shootings that have taken place, four or more victims, um, casualties, as it were. Uh, this is, like I said, not counting anybody, any shootings in which three or fewer people were shot or killed. Um, and in 2021, we saw 693 mass shootings. In 2020, a year that we were, for most of the year, in lockdown... Um, across the country, there were 611, almost the same number, which is in fact more than in 2019 when there was no COVID, when there was no, you know, comparable reason why people would not be shooting each other. There were 417 in 2019. Um, and the truly, the truly shocking thing is that these numbers are only increasing in terms of school shootings. Um, 2021, there were 34 school shootings in the entire year. And uh, this year, there have already been 27, which means I, you can one can only assume, tragically, that we'll probably pass that number this year, unfortunately. 
2020, there were 10 when schools were closed for most of the year. There were still 10 school shootings. In 2019 and in 2018, there were 24 each year, which is fewer than there have already been five months into this year. And I will say that I'm not here to be talking about my personal, you know, deeply held opinion about this sort of thing, but nonetheless, I am here now, so I think that I'm... I'll say that my personal belief is that the manufacturing, the selling of guns is not necessary in this country and in any country. I don't think that we need to have guns on anybody's hands. Um, if there were no guns in to be sold to the public, we would not have these situations. That's that's the fact. And I think it's it's obviously more complicated than that in terms of what how people are going to legislate that or what would actually happen in terms of political and rhetorical backlash and, and whatnot. I don't think that's ever going to happen, that we're not going to have guns in this country, but it's happened in, in other countries. It Other countries are far more successful, not just in stopping school shootings, stopping shootings in general, um, and keeping violence down in general, um, but they're far more successful in, in being able to push for this legislation because they don't have... Um, not to say that they don't have, you know, a gun lobby that is owning politicians like we have here, but they certainly don't have their belief in the owning of firearms as deeply, deeply rooted into the general public. Um, I find it to be quite similar to the notion of why um, people who are not wealthy are still pro-capitalism because they believe that one day they might rise up and become a millionaire, that they may succeed under a capitalist framework. And so they don't want that to not work for them once they're on top. And I think it's the same thing with uh, with guns. I think that people have convinced themselves that these are things that are needed to survive, that we need this in case, you know, um, some hypothetical apocalyptic scenario or government suppression or civil war something starts to happen and they might need that but because they've convinced themselves so deeply that this is going to happen one day there will be a time when they need them when most people will not use their guns in their lives against a you know against a human being which obviously is a point is to my point and i guess against it in a way but um you know most most people who own guns who are not don't have aspirations to to kill people intentionally are not going to need to use them in self-defense They'll use them for hunting or they'll not use them at all. Um, I think that uh, because of that deeply held belief that so many people have, it's tied so deeply to a certain libertarian ideologies and certain beliefs that, that we should all have some sort of rugged individualism and in our own firearms that we hold on ourselves at all times in order that we can defend ourselves against some imaginary hypothetical figure that is going to suppress us. When, of course, the very people who are typically very in favor of of guns and of you know being ready to um fight back against the government or whatever it is are are not the people who are being targeted by the government the people who are being targeted by the government are uh typically um typically progressives leftists typically black and brown teenagers and young adults um typically people who are subject to the police department in any given state and uh that's obviously true across the world to some extent but 
we have an incredibly heavily armed police force, a militaristic police force. Um, so it is not just a problem of personal gun ownership and who is owning the guns and whether they have severe mental illness or whether they have aspirations to commit a mass shooting or whether they have already predicted that they were going to kill somebody and they were not stopped and they were not they were on a database they're in the fbi watch list and yet they were not stopped from buying a gun this happens every day it's not just that it's also the fact that we have a police force that is armed to the teeth that is armed all the way through and yet most of the time these shootings are not stopped by police the shooting that we had in our uh subway station just a couple blocks from where i live recently the subway shooter who uh shot 10 people luckily nobody was killed in that instance but um he shot 10 people in on the uh in the 36th street station in brooklyn and got away with it for what two days he walked right out of there and there are police everywhere in the subway stations harassing homeless people um harassing people who jump the turnstile Wasting their time looking at their phones. I mean, it's that's also a situation where I, I think we fail. And in this specific instance, um, it was actually a Border Patrol officer who shot and killed the shooter in the situation. Not a police officer, a Border Patrol agent, um, which makes you wonder why there was a Border Patrol agent so close to an elementary school, which is predominantly Hispanic children. Um that feels interesting to me. Uh, it feels like something worthless. Look, in in this situation, it was a good thing because of, um, you know, the way that it ultimately ended up being stopped. But, um, you know, in this circumstance, it was not a typical police officer. It was, it was, you know, this narrative of a good guy with a gun, anecdotally, um, being able to stop a bad guy with a gun that is very commonly said by conservatives specifically and uh, pro-gun people um, in this circumstance was was what happened I, I'm not going to say police officer who shot this uh, this guy was entirely a good guy with a gun but he was a person who was able to stop this uh, this from continuing and that's a good thing um, but uh, I I think that it's it's something that's going to be used politically to um, explain why there should be more guns on non-police individuals, and I, I think that it's such a such a wild proposition um, that 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 would stop something like this. If say a teacher had a gun, they wouldn't be dead right now. Um, anyway, I feel like I'm rambling about a lot of different situations. I want to play another clip of Senator Chris Murphy, who was on the Senate floor. He is a senator from the district, um, representing the district that uh, includes Newtown, Connecticut, where Sandy Hook happened 10 years ago. And he had this to say on the Senate floor uh, yesterday. This is Senator Chris Murphy. What are we doing? What are we doing? Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American Patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in the year. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. 
What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority? If your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. What are we doing? Why are you here? If not to solve a problem as existential as this. This isn't inevitable. These kids weren't unlucky. This only happens in this country and nowhere else. Nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. Nowhere else do parents have to talk to their kids, as I have had to do, about why they got locked into a bathroom and told to be quiet for five minutes just in case a bad man entered that building. Nowhere else does that happen except here in the United States of America, and it is a choice. It is our choice to let it continue. What are we doing? And the it's an incredibly um, that was that was uh, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, by the way, that uh, it's an incredibly important question to ask, um, as simple as it is, uh, that we do elect 100 people to the Senate. And we do elect um, so many representatives of individual states, especially who uh, often stand incredibly idly by as um, as these things happen and yet even the smallest movement is not made. Um, a survivor of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting in Parkland um, in 2018 uh, said today that um, the quote is a lot of people just think it's either ban all guns or not, but there are so many nuanced policies. They're implement, there's implementing universal background checks. There's expanding licensing laws. There's banning high-capacity magazines that make it hard to shoot a lot of bullets at once. There's implementing extreme risk protection orders, which allow law enforcement to temporarily remove firearms from a person if they show warning signs of wanting to hurt themselves or others. There's so many policies that exist out there, and it makes the issue not so black and white. Um, that was that's Jacqueline Corrin, who was a survivor of the um, Parkland shooting, and uh, that is exactly the issue I think with this conversation. Um, when it comes to, there are people such as myself who are of the belief that it we we may be better off as a country if there were not in fact guns available for mass manufacturing. I I believe that that is the case, um, but. It's also a situation where because that narrative seems scary to people who are of the impression that guns are needed to survive in, in their circumstance, um, people who are on the right typically who buy into the political narrative, um, they don't see it as these incremental marginal differences such as expanding background checks such as banning specific types of magazines and specific types of guns even ak-47s whatever it is um 
they don't see it that way. And that is the first issue that fundamentally ruins the fact, the, the ability to have a debate about this and the ability to make any kind of individual changes within laws and within uh, manufacturing licenses and within what, what uh, stores can do and sell and within who is able to buy a gun and, and um, all of these things. It's, it is incre- it's very easy. You know, a person is elected to their position as a politician to make a change and to, um, you know, stand up for beliefs that they have. And if we're being honest, Republicans are doing it incredibly well. Um, they are continuing the legislative, um, you know, roots that they have created and dug so tight into the discourse politically, not just the laws, but also what we talk about and the way that we phrase these discussions, that things are not going to change ever, not even the smallest changes, even the changes that traditional moderate Democrats push for. Um, And despite that, you know, I I think that that it's very incredibly easy to have... um, to speak in platitudes about things like this, the most obvious offender being something like thoughts and prayers or, you know, our hearts go out to the families. This is a devastating tragedy, which are usually used by people such as I saw uh, Mitt Romney tweet this today, a man who is funded very heavily by the NRA and receives quite a bit of money from them. I've seen a lot of Republican senators who are in similar positions do the same thing. Um, of course, it is a human and unequivocal declaration to make that this is a tragedy that people should not be killed especially children should not be killed at the hands of you know guns at the other end of a gun that's obvious anybody can say that anybody can can make that claim anybody can say their hearts go out whatever it is but it's gotten to a a weird weird point i think where even um, saying the, a phrase such as we need gun control or, you know, gun control now, we, you know, whatever, is kind of a platitude as well. Because if no difference is being made and if no actual tangible policy changes are being advocated for without the context and the statistics and the, you know, pointing out exactly, you know, shaming politicians who are funded by the NRA and who have historically blocked legislation uh, within gun control and within, you know, those realms, like without those tangible policy changes and reaching out and figuring out exactly what we need to do and then doing it, especially if you're in a position of power, then saying we need gun control is still kind of a platitude. We're not moving anywhere by saying that. Obviously, we need gun control. Obviously, we were saying this decades ago. We've always been saying this, especially in the last decade. Um there are ways to stop these things from happening, and they're not difficult if you're a politician. They're not. If you're President Biden and you say that we cur- we need gun control right now, as he said in his speech directly following this, then do it. Then make a change as the president of the United States. Do something that will change what happens in the future. The um, I, I'm looking right now at an NPR page that, that pointed out uh, the Onion, um, which is a is a you know obviously a parody paper that has evolved into something that is 
really not much of a parody. They're kind of just saying things that are accurate in more blunt ways. Um, you know, year after year, as, as the world becomes even more obviously and, and you know, statistically and, and uh, everything um, messed up, um, they have republished the exact headline um, 21 times since 2014. And the headline is, quote, no way to prevent this, says only nation where this regularly happens. And... Um, I mean, it's hard to see that, you know, really as a joke, because it's this is this is the the most clear way we can put this is that that we are the only nation, especially the only, you know, when we talk about fully uh, economically developed nations, nations that are superpowers and have militaries and economies and whatever as strong as we do and boast ourselves to be these this great country, especially when you think of it as that. But really, one of the only countries, period who has such an extreme and persistent rate of shootings happening and especially nothing being changed in the aftermath. Other countries know what they're doing when it comes to this. Not everybody does it well. Not every country, you know, in Europe, in Asia, whatever, has this figured out all the way and is totally 100%, you know, uh, has nailed this situation because, of course, because politics... Uh, is very complicated when people have personal and financial stakes and things like this, and it's something that one should never have a financial stake in. Um, that's the reality we live in. So no other country has this figured out, but they certainly have it figured out better than we do, uh, better than our, our uh, politicians do. And this is a yet another situation where um, where the general public knows exactly what we should do by and large, the majority of the public, and yet, even if some politicians agree, even if a lot of politicians agree, even if there's legislation on the table, even if Chuck Schumer is pushing for a vote to take place in the Senate floor, as he is now, even if there is every politician in the world is tweeting about gun control, and every celebrity too, and every, whatever, um, it it is still not going to change. Just as nothing substantially changed in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter movement last year, two years ago, and uh, nothing substantially has changed uh, in terms of this, in terms of so many things that we have attempted to do in this country, it is so rare to see tangible change because the people at the top and the people who, who are have the capabilities to make that change do not want to because it is not financially viable for them to do so it is not financially viable and you know electorally viable for a republican politician and some democrat politicians especially republican politicians to stop school shootings that is just the reality the nra does not want that and neither do their friends um and I think another situation where it's a little bit similar in terms of the um, difference, the true divide between what the public wants and what the politicians want and, and tangible action not being made despite platitudes and despite statements and is this is um, something we've been covering on the show a lot is um, the current state of uh, abortion rights and abortion access. I want to shift gears because um 
our new associate news director and soon-to-be host of The Rundown, Arya Young, current reporter here at The Rundown, as well as podcast host. We'll hear her podcast later on tonight. Um, did a piece for us here at The Rundown where she talked to people in New York City and, and covered um, the current state of the pro-choice movement within New York. And um, I want to throw it over to that now. Um, I think that um, I think there's still there's infinite amounts of things that I could continue saying. Um, and I, I, I would absolutely, you know, I, I could I could be here uh, all day at this at this point, but um but i don't i would rather not um i would rather shift gears because i've said a lot of things and i'm gonna say one more thing which is just the um names of the people who were killed um yesterday in uvalde texas um there were two teachers uh ava morales and irma garcia there were um 19 children also killed. Uzziah Garcia, Eliana Lugo Garcia, both age 9. And um, Miranda Mathis, age 11. And the rest of them were 10 years old. Amari Joe Garza, McKenna Lee Elrod, Xavier James Lopez, Jose Flores, Nevea Bravo, Alithia Ramirez, Alexandria Rubio, Eliahana Cruz Torres, Tess Marie Mata, Rogelio Torres, Leila Salazar, Maite Rodriguez, Jaila Nicole Silguero, JC Carmelo Luevanos, Jackie Jalen Cazares, Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez. They were um they were all the victims of um of America yesterday. And um we're going to take it to Arya Young now who has this story on the state of the pro-choice movement in New York City. Well, I went down to the Supreme Court and I took back what you stole from me. Took it back. Took back my dignity. Took it back. This is Resistance Revival Chorus, a collective of women and non-binary singers who uplifts women's voice through music. Recently, they've been singing about the controversy surrounding the Supreme Court's stance on abortion rights. On May 2nd, news outlet Politico obtained a draft of the Supreme Court's upcoming decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. The leaked document indicates the court's intention to use this case as an opening for reassessing Roe v. Wade, the 1973 court decision that federally protects abortion rights in the U.S. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, each state will be able to determine the legality of abortion services for themselves. According to pro-choice research organization the Guttmacher Institute, 26 states will most likely ban or tightly restrict abortions without Roe v. Wade. And the potential abortion laws in these states may lead to medical and socioeconomic consequences. 
According to Duke University's research, banning abortion nationwide would lead to a 21% increase in the number of pregnancy-related deaths overall, and the most affected group will be black people, with a 33% increase among them. Although Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. says that the draft does not reflect the Supreme Court's final decision, the publication of it has caused backlash. In New York City, thousands of people have gathered on May 3rd to protest against the Supreme Court's anti-abortion draft. Sakia Ansari is one of the protesters. She's an activist, organizer, and the advocacy director of the New York State Alliance for Quality Education. She attended the rally as a member of the Resistance Revival Chorus. Sakia says that the consequences of an abortion ban could be more than they seem. Because this issue is bigger than abortion. It's health care. Um, it's an attack on black, brown, indigenous women and communities. It's an attack on trans folks, LGBTQIA. It is not just a one single issue. It is all the things, and they're wrapping it up in a nice little bow for us here. So instead of us being more upset about the leaking, let's be extremely upset and outraged, endlessly outraged, um, about the possibilities. Because it's still legal, y'all. Let's not forget, it is still legal. About the possibility of what this judgment by the Supreme Court will mean for for my grandchildren, their, their children, etc. Reproductive justice is an intersectional issue. While some people can afford to travel out of state for legal abortion services, others may suffer unsafe, illegal abortions or struggle to make ends meet due to an unwanted pregnancy. Zakia says that she does not want a future where reproductive rights are taken away. Just like everything else, many women of color, poor folks, um, don't have access to health care, period, right? So places like Planned Parenthood and others who do more than abortion, you know, health care, you know, when you go in to go get a pap smear and you want to keep yourself healthy, if we do all those things, all those things are under attack in this moment right now. And we will go, do we want to go back to those moments with hangers and all the atrocious things that we saw that were happening to women's bodies way, way back before Roe v. Wade? I hope not. I hope we care enough about people, about women, about trans folks, that we're like, never that again, you know? Abortion has been legal in the U.S. for almost 50 years. Institutions, companies, and activists caution that banning abortion will trigger greater gender inequity. The Supreme Court's final ruling in the Dobbs v. Jackson case can be expected during the summer of 2022. Meanwhile, pro-choice advocates are not giving up on the fight for equity and bodily autonomy. WNYU 89.1 FM, I'm Aria Young. Thanks so much, Aria. Congratulations to Aria Young. She is she was just appointed the new associate news director. Um, and Grace Wanabo, your fearless host here at the rundown, will be stepping into my former position as news director uh, next semester starting this summer. So you'll be hearing from both of them very soon here on the rundown. Um, Aria Young will be taking over as host for at least the fall semester. But um, I would like to thank you for tuning in this week to The Rundown, a very special episode of The Rundown. It's, uh, of course, a little different of a vibe and of a theme this week, but it had to be, I think. Um, I've been Jack Peterson, your guest host today. Grace Wanabo will be back soon. Thanks for tuning in to The Rundown this week. I've been Jack Peterson. You're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM, wnyu.org. We'll be back in a bit.